Welcome to the checkout. P. Wade Ross, CEO of Texas Small Farmers and Ranchers Community-Based Organization out in College Station, Texas. Hello, my Texas neighbor. Thanks for making time. Oh, thank you for having me. We actually don't do too many Texas-based shows uh, as, as we're sort of a national or even international focused podcast. Um, so it's actually wonderful to talk to you because you work with uh, smaller farmers, primarily farmers of color here in Texas. Yes, yes, we um, um, pretty much have been were established in 1998, and uh, our focus, in a nutshell, is to to be a voice uh, for farmers of color and and also to you know serve as a, a information channel um, for those who otherwise may not feel very comfortable just stepping forward and and uh, you know seeking out the information sometimes. Uh, um, communities of color, just based on some of the trauma and, you know, past history tend to not move forward and reach for certain things because of the trust factor. So we try to be that buffer and that's pretty much who we've been over the last 20 years or so. Yeah. Tell us a bit about the type of work you do with, with farmers. Um, we pretty much do, um, up to about for the last 20 years, we've been working as a, kind of a conduit with government agencies. Um, not sure if I, I have time to, to share with you how we kind of came about, but uh, uh, my the, the um, land in my family, we have family farmland. It's been in my family for over a hundred years. Long story short, we moved during the Dust Bowl, my family moved up north of us, but we had some family members that stayed behind and lived on the land. So it was preserved, but not really farmed. Um, in the early 90s, we returned, uh, specifically my father, Wade Ross. And uh, as he did, he was when he was up uh, north, college administrator. One thing that came out of that is he knew you don't know something, you go to the experts and you find that information. Good news was our land was just outside of College Station, so all the Texas A&M resources were there. So naturally, when my dad returned, his dream was always to be a cattle farmer. We had we have a 120-acre ranch. I mean, land, I should say. It eventually became a ranch. Um, but he didn't know what he didn't know, so he sought out to gain that information by attending every, any and every meeting he could possibly uh, attend. Uh, he took an early retirement, went back down. So in doing so, one thing that jumped out to him was the absence of Black farmers at these events and meetings. So he just couldn't figure it out. You know, he said, wait, you know, wait a minute, what's going on here? And that's when our organization was really formed. And again, to, to make sure that we were bringing this valuable information as far as, um, as farmers and ranchers producers because he would go to other meetings throughout the state and realize it wasn't just there in College Station and Bryan area. It was all over the state of Texas that, that many of these Black farmers were not getting that information. Um, it was predominantly white um, attendees, you know, what, regardless of what type of meeting it was. So that's really what we've done is we've, we've kind of tried to merge the two, kind of be a, the, the conduit to make sure that these farmers out here, who especially many of these farmers, as you've seen, who have lost their land, 
were getting the information that they they needed. So that's who we were over the last 20 years. Um, one thing that we've realized is we've been going down these rabbit holes as far as getting this information individually, but the dots haven't been connecting when you're talking about economic empowerment. What do folks need to know about black farmers in Texas? Oh, people need to know that black farmers in Texas are not what you think. A lot of people read headlines. What I'm, what I'm finding is most people read headlines about farmers, even small farmers, and they think, oh, number one, these farmers are getting all these subsidies, you know, and, and they don't really make the know that there's a difference between a small farmer and, you know, that larger farmer who may be doing the cash crops. Big, huge difference um, amongst all communities, not just the Black community, but even within the, the Black community, there's very few, if any, who are doing the cash crops. And those who are doing specialty crops are pretty much hobbyists, meaning that they may have land that they're growing, you know, fruits and vegetables on, or produce. They may have livestock, but they're not a part of the food supply, your local food supply chain. When you go to HEB, when you go to Walmart or any of these other stores, that money isn't being recirculated back to many small farmers, but absolutely no black farmers. So that's, you know, that's what's alarming. Most people don't know that I get calls all the time or organization does for, and people want to know, Hey, how's this, you know, pandemic impacting the black farmer. And I'm going, well, you're probably, I think you're asking the wrong question, you know, because really what you should be asking is where is the black farmer and what, what part are they, what part are they, what part are they when it comes to the food supply chain? And, and I ask people, I'm like, you know what? I want to know if I'm all out in the left field here, tell me, you know, maybe there are many black farmers who are out here, part of the, the food supply chain tying into, you know, some of these institutions and food banks and being able to sell procurement to the government and to some of these grocery stores that I don't know about, you know, if so tell me, you know, here, not here in Texas. So. Yeah. I believe it's like 98% of ag subsidies go to large scale white farmers, but yeah. How many black farmers are there in Texas and where are they located? What are they growing and how have they managed to survive, you know, based on the precipitous decline in uh, black farmers since uh, the 1920s? Um, there, there, put it this way, there are twice as many black farmers than there are in any other state in our nation. The next state, uh, the second in line has less than half of the, many, the amount of farmers who are labeled as farmers. Now, with that said, you know, you know most of those farmers are landowners, like I mentioned earlier, that not, are, are not a part of the food supply chain. So when you're asking how do they survive, they survive like any other person. You know, they have usually two or three jobs that they're working. In many cases, they're working those extra jobs to hold on to their land because they don't have any outlets. They don't know what it looks like. Most black farmers don't know what it looks like to be able to take their produce 
and to market it and to have a sales outlet that they consistently sell to. That's, that's not even a part of the equation. And we have to find a way to close that gap. Um, and it starts, and, and everybody thinks that they can just turn on a switch and go, okay, we've got this government money or these policies, which usually get absorbed at the higher level. They usually don't trickle down to that farmer or, or that farmer of color who really needs those resources for education, you know, and to get them in a position, you know, with food safety, with production practices, climate smarts, fairly a fairly new phenomenon that, you know, everyone needs to get up to speed with. And, but those resources typically don't trickle down to that black farmer or that farmer of color and definitely not to the surrounding communities, you know, surrounding communities, especially in rural areas, but also in urban areas, you know, they typically have a corner store that's selling, you know, for, you know, JoJo's and fried chicken. Well, you know, you eat that day in and day out, you know, with the soda and guess what? You're going to have, you know, prominent disease and health problems. So it's, it's a factor that we need to talk about now and start doing something about problem is, is that it usually does not trickle down to those communities. And what we're trying to do now is just get these farmers to say, Hey, you can do this. This is something you can do. Keeping in mind, they don't know what that looks like as we speak right now, because we don't have anything to point to. So what we have to start doing is creating some of these small wins in the form of education, in the form of some peer to peer training, you know, and in the form of really celebrating the small wins so we can turn those into bigger wins and get people to kind of lean forward and say, okay, that was old. Back in the past, we couldn't do that, but today is a new day. What are some of the historic hurdles or forms of discrimination that black farmers have faced um, that has made it so difficult to hold on to their land um, and has reduced their, their numbers so greatly? Um, wow, there's, there's so, so many. I mean, we just, we can just kind of look back on history. And uh, I actually had a friend who asked me a question. I shared it in one of my uh, conferences that I invited to. And his, his question was, wow, Phil, he said, he said, I look at the, I look at Black people as a whole here in America. And he said, you guys have literally built America on your backs. Yet, you know, I see so so much disenfranchisement out there. He said, it just doesn't make sense to me. And, and really what, you know, he was asking is, you know, why isn't there more progress when it comes to the black community, when it comes to economic empowerment and advancement? And the reality is, it's because of, of, because, you know, we just went through black history month and I learned more and more and more, I'm still learning uh, a lot of the things, but the reality is unlike any other race or ethnicity that's come to America, we don't have a subculture to fall back on when it, um, once we were released from slavery, slavery. And every time it seems like we made wins, we were set back by you know lynchings and hangings and Jim Crow. And people could say, oh yeah, that was a hundred years ago. But no, just a couple of generations ago. Um, it was just a couple of generations ago that my great grandfather was able to obtain the land that we've had in our family. 
And guess who he's communicating to? He's communicating to my parents, my grandparents and parents, you know, on the do's and don'ts. Because first and foremost, for anyone, I don't care who you are, it's about survival. And for me, so for so long, the narrative in the Black community be, has been to survive, you don't want to upset the status quo. And the status quo is everything that we've been talking about today. So we, it's up to all of us to change that narrative. There are so many barriers right now, um, so many pain points, you know, that we do have to overcome, lack of trust, you know, hope. We got we to gotta build confidence. You know, there's language barriers. You know, sometimes we simply don't talk that same language that that person who's giving, you know, some instructions at the FSA or USDA office is giving, and it's hard to absorb that. And nobody wants to feel like they don't know. So instead of raising our hand and asking the question, we just don't show up to the next meeting, you know, and that's hurting us as a people. So that's something that we have to overcome. We have to start creating education that's going to be, you know, a little bit more palatable from the people that we know, uh, look and uh, look like and trust. Um, there's also, you know, issues as far as relevant information. Doesn't do me any good, me any good as a black farmer, to show up at a food safety training for a two-day food safety training when. I can't even get a, I don't even know how to start getting a fence up to keep my animals in or how to, you know, some of the basics as far as, you know, no-till um, techniques or maybe everything I know is about fertilize. I can't afford fertilize. You know, how do I overcome that? How do I map these things together just to be in the game? Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're not making money, when you, if you're farming, you're not making any kind of profit, then you're not a farmer. You're just a, you're just a gardener and you're, you're a pet owner is basically what you are. So those are some of the, in the, in the high level that you can go deeper uh, if you want. But the point is, is that we do have to make some steps forward, understand, understanding, first seeking to understand some of these barriers, which, you know, it feels like there's not a lot of awareness. No one's really talking about it. You know, Black people, we're prideful, so we're not going to talk about it. We'll talk about it amongst each other at the barbershop. But out in the open, it's not something that we talk about. So guess what? No one else is talking about it either. Everybody's going kind of about their business status quo, but someone needs to stop and talk about it. So I appreciate you for, for the platform that you provide. Yeah, of course. It's our pleasure, as, as both me and my uh partner in crime at the checkout, Evan Driscoll, had been involved in food and farming for a long time. Evan, in fact, has probably crossed paths with you as he was a board member of TOFCA um, and actually attended the event where I actually, where I heard of you, I saw your video um, online and I, I listened to your, your uh, talk. So what are some things that our audience can do, either supporting policies or, or supporting practices to, you know, assure that uh, black farmers are treated equitably, that uh, the market, condi market conditions are fair, that policies are non-discriminatory. What can our listeners do to support folks like you and the folks that your organization is supporting? Um, I would say just lean forward, 
be willing to listen with open ears. Um, and we are actually in the time we're blessed to be in the time that there is more, there are a lot more open ears than they were maybe five or 10 years ago, because, you know, back then it was, oh, it's just those, those black guys complaining again. Um, you know, please just let, I, I guess the biggest thing you can do is listen and learn, um, lean on organizations like Texas Small Farmers and Ranchers Community-Based Organization that is on the ground floor, really trying to make attempts to, to, to uh, change the narrative, I would say. Um, that's really important. Um, I know a lot of times, like I said before, there's money that goes or policies that go in place from the, that goes out from Washington, D.C., but we really want help in making sure there's accountability to make sure that it's getting to the end spot that these these uh, politicians that we're voting for and policymakers aren't just washing their hands and going, okay, we put it out there. It's just up to the states to make sure the the local people to make sure that it's it gets to play. Typically, it doesn't because we're not having these conversations that you're that you're posting right now. So a lot of times, people don't know, and when you do know. Please lean forward. See how you can support organizations like, uh, you know, community-based organizations who are, you know, down there. A lot of times we get absorbed or we're kind of pushed to the side once the money shows up because, you know, the bigger agencies tend to have the resources to write, to say all the right things and write those great grants. And it doesn't get to the, the resources don't get to the people who really truly need the help. So please, one thing is to listen. Another thing is to support um, organizations that are really on the ground level, trying to make sure that we close the gap on some of these disparities. You know, uh, folks may not realize if they're, they don't live in Texas, but Texas has some really interesting uh, grassroots ag organizations like, like your own, like Tofka, like a Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance. There's some really interesting folks on the ground doing work. Um, and, you know, organizing uh, small farmers, but also um, advocates and, and allies. But what I wanna know is I, I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up in New York City. I, I'm a gardener, you know, to, to your point. I, I, don't, I don't make money selling food that I grow per se. But what does it feel like to be a farmer? Like, you know, what what is what is it like in in your in your mind and in your heart being a farmer? Um, that's something that I you know I'm trying to understand better because I didn't grow up around farmers. I've worked with plenty of farmers, and I'm not a farmer myself, but it's something that I've always sort of aspired to. And I, I always like asking farmers that. What does it feel like? Um, for most farmers, it it is something that's actually inside of you. It has to be, um, you know, no one in their right mind is going to just jump into so, uh, something that's is, is labor intensive. You know, in some cases you, if you're doing it right and some techniques, it's not so labor intensive, but no one's going to last if you, if it's not really inside of you when it comes to farming. Um, so so a farmer is, is a person who's just, is just like anything else, you know, they're a business person who happens to be a manufacturer 
of something natural, such as vegetables, such as livestock. Uh, so it's a business. And that's what I tell people all the time. It's, it's basically a manufacturing business. You know, you have costs of goods sold. You know, when you're looking at your profit and loss, you have your expenses. And at the end of the day, you better, regardless if it's farming or, you know, whether you're a doctor, attorney, it doesn't matter. Same thing. It's a profession where you better enjoy what you do. Otherwise, why would you put in those long hours, invest those long hours to do it? Same with an, a doctor who has to go to school for years and years. For as a farmer, you have to typically, I don't care if you're just you're selling livestock or cattle, it all goes back to the soil. It all goes back to you know the plants and soil and the seed. You better have that soil right or else you can't grow you know, the, the grass that your animal needs to eat to, you know, be able to, you know, get fat enough to sell on the market where you can make a profit. Same thing. You got to put in the work. Um, so for a farmer, it's a professional. It's a person who has a profession, uh, whether you're selling livestock or you're just, you got a backyard garden selling at the farmer's market. It's a profession, you know, that's pretty much like a manufacturer. You're going to put in the work, invest in the work, to get an end product at the end of the day. Awesome. P. Wade Ross, CEO of Texas Small Farmers and Ranchers, CBO. Any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, I would just say to, to the audience that, you know, we're, we're coming into, we're just getting out of Black History Month. And uh, as a Black person, you know, I'd like to see it be not just be a month, but just to be, you know, year round, because I am personally learning so much. And there's so many, there's so many myths out there. I know it's kind of a turnoff to always hear about, you know, biopic and, you know, black things and racial equity, all those seem to be words that are being thrown out so much. But at the end of the day, we're all together. We're all a part of the, the same society we're all a part of this nation we're all a part of this world and when one group of people are suffering we all suffer we're all in this together thanks so much it's really been great having you on the show and best of luck with all that work that you're doing and please stay in touch all right thank you so much